Hi. It's, uh, it's been 43 weeks since my last episode, and, you know, I didn't intend it to take that long to record more, but, uh, that's what happened, and I feel like I should apologize, but I'd like to explain. When you start a passion project such as this podcast, in the beginning of it you have these grand visions of how it could go and you get really excited about it and you, you know, you record all your episodes and you put them out in a timely fashion and you're you're really pumped, you're telling all your friends, you're making stickers, you're doing the whole thing. And then it's met with, you know, some positive feedback so you think, "Okay, I need to ramp it up. I need to make this even better. You know, I got some advice from some of my friends about what they thought I could do to improve the show, and I thought it was good advice, so I took it. The second season was going to be one cohesive story of Alexander the Great. I wrote, in entirety, 15 episodes. By my calculations, it probably would have been something like 16 to 20 hours worth of material. Now... I know that probably sounds really cool to some of you. It sounds fucking awesome to me. As a listener, I would be so jazzed about that. But the problem is, I'm not Dan Carlin. I can't do that shit. I can't write a 20-hour cohesive story of Alexander the Great. I scrapped the entire season, and I rewrote it again, trying to simplify it. And once again, I found myself saying, there is no fucking way. So... I decided to scrap that entirely. Hopefully one day I will come back to Alexander the Great. He is my second favorite conqueror, and I think a lot of people need to know a lot more about him. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to record just random episodes whenever I feel the motivation and I have the time and energy to do it. Today is one of those episodes. I'm sorry that it took so long. I can't say it won't take that long again, but I hope it doesn't. Anyway, enough with the excuses and apologies. Let's do some fucking learning. My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to Repeating History. History, 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 history. feel like we're all thinking the same thing right now, and you know what? I'll just, I will be the one to say it. (sighs) I missed you guys. I miss doing this. I love recording. I love learning. I love teaching you guys things, so I'm really excited to be back. Today, we're going to talk about some shit that I think is awesome. Everyone thinks of ancient Egypt and immediately thinks of Tutankhamun, and it's like, yeah, sure, he's cool. I guess, like, if you're into boy kings or whatever, but I'm fucking not. That dude didn't do shit, and I don't care about him. You want to know who I do care about, though? I care about an unknown king from the 18th dynasty named Hatshepsut. But that name is really hard to say over and over, so I'm going to call her Hatchy Baby, or maybe just Hatchy, or maybe just Hatch. Now, for those of you who have a keen ear for listening, you might have recognized the fact that I called the king a her. That's right, baby, there is a scandal in Egypt now. Hatshepsut is a female king. 
And no, I don't mean she's the queen. I mean she's the goddamn pharaoh. Fake beard and all. Fake beard? What? It's not like she's a cross-dresser. Well, I guess, I guess technically she is, but not like for that reason. Ancient Egyptians didn't tend to wear a beard, but the pharaoh wore one as a sign of authority. Even like Tutankhamun and other famous pharaohs that you recognize and you see that, you know, that lovely golden solid beard on them, that's not real. It's actually tied around their face. And even Hatshepsut has statues that have the beard attached to it. And if you look really carefully, you can see a line on the cheek to indicate that it's tied on there. So that's a cool little tidbit. But, you know, anyway. Hatshepsut was lost to history for a very long time because she was erased from all of the king's lists. Also, all of her great deeds that she accomplished throughout her life have been credited to other pharaohs around the same time. A point of contention among other Egyptologists... <laughs> I say other as if I'm some sort of Egyptologist. <laughs> no. What I meant to say is a point of contention among Egyptologists is why she was erased. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. First, I'd like to tell you guys how we re-found her. Okay, so on the west bank of the Nile in Upper Egypt, there is a mortuary complex known as Deir el-Bahari. Deir el-Bahari means the Monastery of the North. Very fitting, right? Underneath the cliffs at Deir el-Bahari, there is a mortuary temple for our girl Hatshepsut. It is called Jezer Jezeru. That's a very fun word or title to say, so, you know, go ahead, say it after me. Jezer Jezeru. And then you guys say it right here. Okay, really good job, guys. Anyway, that is the crowned jewel for Hatshepsut. That's like, you know, her... Her final thing, it's her mortuary temple. It is apparently one of the most amazing things you can see in Egypt. I've never been, so I can't say for certain, but I would guess that if there were Yelp reviews for it, it would probably have, I don't know, at least 4.5 stars. I realize as I say this that there probably is a Yelp review for it, and I would like to take this really quick moment to say if you're the type of person who leaves a Yelp review on something that is so obviously awesome from, like, ancient history, fuck you. Just, no. Anyway, I digress. Here's a pretty funny story that I read. It's about when they are excavating Jezer Jezeru, and they're, you know... There's a lot of things that are still kind of in question for them. You know, they're figuring out this ancient culture. They don't fully understand the the culture of it or the language all the way. It's still kind of new to them, right? They're looking at the walls after they started uh, excavating this place, and they're looking at the walls, and they're noticing that the hieroglyphs have seemingly had some typos done, right? They're looking at it, and it's talking about the great king, but then it mentions the word her, her royal highness. And it's like, huh, did, did they hire someone to come in here with the chisel and that person fucked up and then was just like, ah, we're, just leave it, move on. It's going to take too much time to fix it. Just move on. And so, you know, they're having these questions to themselves, like, why, why does this keep happening? That's pretty weird. And then... 
they also find that two kings are depicted in some of these uh, pictures, right? And they're looking at it going, wait a second, it doesn't have two kings on the kings list? What the fuck is that all about? And one of the kings depicted is a very well-known king named Tutmosis III. He's probably the most successful military pharaoh that Egypt ever had. But he is depicted behind this other king. So once again, they're scratching their heads going, why? Why is it? Why is this very well-known king behind this completely unknown king? And why is that completely unknown king being called a her? Anyway, I just think that's a really funny situation, right? Like, they don't know. And this is kind of what sparked the investigation to be like, who the fuck is this person? Here's what they were able to tell right from the rip. She was definitely a part of the 18th dynasty. Now, the 18th dynasty was around for something like 260 years. That's longer than the United States has even been around. Imagine if George Washington's relatives were still ruling the country now. That's kind of what this dynasty would be like. Another notable member of this dynasty is Tutankhamun. And I know I said I wasn't going to go into him, and I stand by that, but, you know, I think it is important to say this is the same lineage. I'm also not going to go too far ahead of Hatshepsut because I think, you know, history being a linear path, it makes it hard sometimes to know exactly where to start and where to stop. And I know I've said this a hundred times and I'll probably say it a hundred more. And those are just the facts. So if you don't like it, you better get with it or deal with it or something. This thread is falling apart very fast. Anyway, in this situation... I think it's actually kind of easy to know where to start because everyone dies and then the next, you know, their daughter or son takes over. So it's kind of like, all right, well, let's start with her dad, Tutmosis I. Tutmosis I is important in history because he's the first credited pharaoh to be buried in the Valley of the Kings. He's the third pharaoh of the 18th dynasty, and, you know, he... he did some cool stuff. He built some cool temples, blah, blah, blah. He made Egypt bigger by attacking Nubia. Sure. Cool. Great, man. Like, we're really proud of you. But what I think he's coolest and best known for is starting the Valley of the Kings. The Valley of the Kings is when pharaohs started to say, hey, man, I am tired of having my grandfathers and my great 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 grandfather's tombs robbed if i'm gonna bury myself with all this dope shit that i get to have later in the afterlife i don't want people taking it right it's like you know when you're alive you don't want people to steal your shit and i guess when you're dead you also don't want people to steal your shit so instead of making these great pyramids and saying like aha a king is buried here i dare you to come check it out they're like Shh, on the low, I'm just going to be buried in this big valley. There's not going to be any giant, uh, you know, monument for me. That's all just going to be hidden down under the ground. And that's what he did. And it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, that's where they found Tutankhamun is in the Valley of the Kings. We got, we'll get into the Valley of the Kings a little bit more, but I just think that's pretty cool. It was the first dude to be like, okay. I'm tired of the grandiose, uh, egotistical uh, burial chamber. Let's hide this shit so I can keep all this dope stuff that I have, right? 
Tutmosis I dies after 13 years of rule. One of the issues that happened after his death is that he doesn't have a son with his great wife. He has a son with a concubine. But with his great wife, he does have a daughter. We're talking about Hatshepsut. Now, one way for that illegitimate child to become pharaoh is to marry into the most pure bloodline. The most pure living offspring was Hatshepsut his stepsister. It's like, you know, modern, weird, creepy incest porn. She's all like, oh, help me, Tutmosis II. I'm, I'm stuck in the pyramid. And he's like, Bow. okay, stepsister, let me come give you a hand. But not at all like that, actually. Um, sorry. Sorry that I even said that. It makes me feel weird to even say that. Why is that a thing? Ugh. Anyway, uh, so Tutmosis II and Hatshepsut are married for like 20 years, right? They also do not have a son, but once again, he has a son with one of his concubines. So when he dies after like 20 years of marriage and pretty uneventful reign, her stepson slash nephew slash I don't know what else in that tangled web of incest uh he's he's too young to get married to her and he's too young to rule so she's like yo i'll just step in as like the regent and i'll kind of run this shit while he grows up right except our girl liked it she liked being in charge and she's gonna you know stay in charge for kind of a while and by kind of a while i mean 21 fucking years what a sick move. She's just like, yo, this stupid dumbass kid can't rule. I'll fucking rule. I've been the daughter, wife, and sister of the king. I got this shit. But she can't just take over. She can't just say, I'm Pharaoh and be Pharaoh, you know? She has to do something about it. And she's fucking smart. So she creates a divine birth story. Ta-da! Guess what, everyone? I am related directly to the gods as well. And to make her connection to the gods even stronger, she proclaims herself as the god's wife, Amun. She's married to a god. She's from gods and she's married to the gods. She is as fucking holy as possible. And that's why she gets to be the king. And that was probably enough for a lot of people. But you have to wonder... What did the common folk think about this? You know, how did they feel about having a female pharaoh? She's been around for a long time. It's not like she's a new figurehead on the scene. They, they know who she is. But my question is, is she just a common usurper? Or is she just a bad bitch who's just like, yo, I have had enough. This dumbass kid can't take care of shit right now, so I'm gonna do it, okay? Is she the person who stepped up because someone needed to step up? Or is she the person who stepped up because she saw an opportunity? And that's a question that's been on people's minds for a long time. And who's really to say, because most of it's lost to history. But we can go over some of the accomplishments that happened under her reign and get an idea of what type of ruler she was. 
she was not a militaristic leader, which is cool. You know, she didn't go invade any other foreign lands and all that. And sure, she didn't make Egypt any bigger, but she didn't need to at the moment. What she needed to do was increase the wealth. And she did that in a different way. She increased trade. She sends a delegation to punt on all these boats. There's a depiction of it at Deir al-Bahari, and it's awesome. She sends all these people there on their boats, and they come back with all this frankincense and myrrh, and they come back with living trees from punt to be planted at Deir al-Bahari, which is, like, so cool. You know, as far as, like, botany goes, this is the first known example of people transferring plants from one location to another like you know foreign plants that's so cool when they excavated Deir al-Bahari they found intact roots from these trees with a plaque that's amazing right she's also a builder a very prolific builder probably one of the most prolific builders of ancient Egypt she built all sorts of dope shit but my favorite is she constructed or had quarried two obelisks from the Aswan granite quarry and then brought all the way to Karnak Temple and erected, one of which still remains today. Now, what's so impressive about this is, unlike other uh, you know, ancient structures we find that have a lot of them buried underground, like at Easter Island, these obelisks are quarried in one piece and then like shipped, moved all the way over to Karnak, still having to remain obviously in one piece, and then erected, and then they just balance on themselves. There's nothing underground. They're just so perfectly centered and balanced. It's amazing. It is an amazing feat of engineering. But that's not all she built at Karnak. She also constructed what's known as the Red Chapel. Now, this is super cool because... The Red Chapel was, uh, it was like, it was a small building that depicted all the important moments in Hatchesput's life. Okay, cool. Nothing too amazing. It's not like the craziest chapel ever built, right? But here's the thing that got wild about it. It was deconstructed. Oftentimes in ancient Egypt, they would take down old buildings and use the blocks as building material for new buildings. And they did this with the Red Chapel. In the 1950s, people started finding these bricks, these pink Aswan granite bricks, and were like, yo, these all kind of look similar. Oh, look at, here's a piece of a picture on this one, and there's a piece of a picture on that one. This must be from something. And someone was fucking smart enough to go, all these come from this one place. Let's take them all and put them all back together. So they documented them all, figured out all the pictures, put it all back together, and in 1997... They built the Red Chapel again. Like, how perfect is that? Something that was built for Hatshepsut, and it is lost to history, just like her own legacy is lost, and then it is found, and it is being reclaimed currently, and the Red Chapel was found and reclaimed and rebuilt, and it is amazing. And now we can look at this thing that was completely deconstructed at one point. That above anything else in this whole podcast should be the thing that you go, whoa, shit, that is cool. And there's evidence that she created the first zoo. You're welcome, everybody, from your girl Hatchie Baby. Fuck. 
I know it sounds like I'm like ranting right now. I'm speaking too fast. I'm all excited. But this is the stuff about history that makes me so goddamn excited. It's so cool. I don't even have the right words to explain how cool this is. I've said amazing about 50 times in the last couple minutes because it's amazing. These buildings are so cool and they still exist. Like that, whew, man, that is, that's pretty fucking neato mosquito. You know what I mean? And the craziest part is I haven't even told you about the coolest building yet. It's Jezer Jezeru. Remember in the beginning, we said it together. Let's do it again. Jezer Jezeru. It feels good to say it looks even cooler, guys. It is an amazing building and it's still around and it is gorgeous. And I hope that you haven't had too much scandal in this episode yet because Jezer Jezeru is built by her maybe secret lover, a dude named Senmut. His official title was Steward to the God's Wife, which is, of course, Hatchy Baby. Now, some Egyptologists have theorized that Senmut was actually Hatshepsut's lover. Now, the reason that they say this is because Hatshepsut allowed him to put his name and an image of himself behind one of the main doors at Jezer Jezeru, which is obviously, like, a pretty big thing. Also, they have found graffiti in some of these unfinished tombs that have pictures of the two of them getting a little friendly. Like, how cool is that? Not only do we have these ancient temples and these amazing buildings, but we have graffiti from ancient Egypt. Like, these workers are probably chilling. You know, they're working on Jezer Jezeru, and they're just like, oh, man, it's too fucking hot. Let's go hang out in one of these other unfinished tombs because, you know, they were constantly building tombs for people all the time. That was, you know, it took a long time to do it, so they're doing that. They're just chilling in there, probably having a quick lunch break, and, you know, they're like, man, Isn't it weird how the boss and then, like, the big boss are kind of a little too friendly? And then one of them's like, yeah, check this out. And it's not like they can just spray paint it. They have to chisel it into the fucking rock. So we have chiseled graffiti uh, suggesting that Hatshepsut and Senmut were actually a a bit of a deal, which is (laughs) awesome. So far, we've been discussing what type of ruler she was and the kind of accomplishments she achieved during her reign, and it makes her seem like maybe she is, in fact, the right person for the job. But then you also have to question, is she actually the evil stepmother who sends her stepson off to military school to go, you know, just be out of the way? Well, yeah, that is what people think, but not the evil part. That's where they think Tutmosis III spent most of her reign, is training in the military. And obviously, like I said before, he's one of the most accomplished military leaders in ancient Egypt, so it worked out for the best, and you know, he his reign was filled with conquering and expanding Egypt's borders, so he can't be that mad, right? But some people think he can be that mad, because during his reign... He essentially tried to wipe Hatshepsut off of the history books. He gave all of the things that she accomplished either to himself or Tutmosis II. Now, a lot of people say that this was done out of spite, and I guess it kind of makes sense. You know, like, there is 
a reason for him to be mad. There's a motive for him to erase her from history. But I actually don't think, and I'm not alone on this, a lot of Egyptologists, once again, I'm I'm not calling myself an Egyptologist. Just let's make that clear. Uh, a lot of Egyptologists think that maybe it wasn't done out of spite because it wasn't done until later in his reign. And they think that the reason it might have been done is not out of uh, some sort of anger-filled rage like, oh, fuck her, you know, I can't believe she overshadowed me for all those years. They think that what it really is is he's trying to keep the king's list pure. So it goes from Tutmosis 1 2 to 3 instead of Tutmosis 1 2 Hatshepsut Tutmosis 3 um and that kind of thing you know they were just trying to create a, a legacy for himself later and that seems feasible to me because like I said there's evidence that shows that all of the vandalism and scratching off of her name and whatnot actually happened later in the years of his reign and you'd think that if you were upset with someone that would be like the first thing you did but I guess there's an argument to say that revenge is a dish best served cold, but I kind of doubt it. So that could have been the end of it. Tutmosis III's reign could have completely eradicated and erased the legacy of Hatshepsut. But history had other plans. And like Jeff Goldblum would say, life uh, finds a way. Except in this case, it's death uh, finds a way. An Egyptologist by the name of Howard Carter, who incidentally was also the Egyptologist who found Tutankhamun's tomb, <sighs> just keeps coming back to him, doesn't it? Well, anyway, he finds one of the tombs of Hatshepsut. The tomb was found in the Valley of the Kings. It's labeled as KV-20. When the excavations of the Valley of the Kings began, they kind of charted it all out, and, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, this one, one, two, three, four, five, whatever. Uh, what's funny about it is it's actually probably the very first tomb that was ever made in the Valley of the Kings. It's the tomb of her father, Tutmosis I. She adapted that tomb to be a tomb for the two of them. This signifies that she was more proud of her relationship with her father than she was with her husband, brother, Pharaoh. Which makes sense. I don't think a lot of people would like to, you know, highlight their incestuous relationship with their brother. Whatever. I get it. But like I said before, when Howard Carter excavated that tomb, not only was the sarcophagus of Hatshepsut empty, but so was that of her father, Tutmosis I. It led a lot of Egyptologists to be like, the fuck? Howard Carter is a busy dude. He didn't just find the most famous fucking tomb ever with Tutankhamun. He also found a tomb in the Valley of the Kings that's known as KV-60. Now, what's crazy about this tomb is it's not for one individual. It's actually a cache of royal fucking mummies. What they think happened is some later pharaoh was like, oh shit, man, they're starting to rob even the Valley of the Kings now. And to keep them all safe, he moved all these mummies to one location kind of a way, and there they sat. You know, they were undisturbed, but they didn't have riches with them. It was just the mummies and the sarcophagi. But some of them were unmarked, and people just didn't know who they were. They found the I, and they found a bunch of others, but they didn't find Hatshepsut in there. And that was confusing to them, right? Well... 
There is a mummy in KV-60 that has something about Hatshepsut written on it, but it doesn't say it's her. Next to that mummy, there happens to be an unmarked one, and everyone just refers to her as the Fat Lady. Not a very endearing nickname, but, you know, that's what they call her, so whatever, deal with it. Anyway, they do some scans, they're looking at this body, they're checking it out, they're x-raying it, doing the whole deal, and they notice that she has cancer, she has, like, bone problems, hip problems, she has bad teeth, and she's specifically missing a tooth. Not that big of a deal, you know, like that shit happens. Well, the foremost Egyptologist at the time says, hey, like, I want you guys to look at all of the artifacts that we have that have any relation to Hatshepsut. While they're doing this, they happen to find a box that contains the cartouche with her name on the outside. Cartouche is just a symbol that shows uh, a royal person's name inside an oval. Anyway, they find this box that has her name on the outside, and they open it, and on the inside there happens to be a tooth. Not only just a tooth, but the tooth that's missing on that fat lady mummy. And they scan that, and they check it out, and it is exactly a fit. So, they're able to say with pretty solid certainty that this is in fact the mummy of Hatshepsut. Now, I've avoided talking about years throughout this podcast because sometimes I think that that can get a little bit convoluted, but there's a few years that I think are important to understand in this part of the podcast. The tomb KV-60 was found in 1903. The box that contained the tooth was found in 1881 right? So that's a pretty long time ago. But the body of Hatshepsut was not confirmed to be her until 2007. That's awesome. That's all of us listening to this right now. We're probably alive then. That's fucking awesome. We are still living in a time where history is being, you know, revealed in front of us. And I think that's really cool. And it makes me very hopeful for the future. You know, I'm holding my breath to hope that eventually, During my lifetime, the tomb of Alexander the Great is found. But that's just me. I wanted to mention those names and those dates just so we had an idea of how long some of these discoveries take to happen. How fucking cool is that? And how perfect is it that this is almost an exact mirrored replica version of the story of the Red Chapel that was built by Hatshepsut? You know, her legacy taken apart brick by brick. She literally has a tooth pulled out and put in a separate box and blah, 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 blah. Her mummies move to all these different locations. They find it. They find the tooth. They put it back together just like the Red Chapel. And then we're able to see the whole picture. We're able to see the chapel again. We're able to understand this pharaoh that has been erased through time. It's been someone, someone, generations of people have tried to erase her as a historical figure, and now it's being put back together, and now we're able to see it. (laughs) How fucking cool is that, man? Oh, that's it. That's the whole episode. I'm ending it like that. It's amazing.
I, I love it. I hope that you like that story. I am so sorry that it took me this long to record another episode. While doing this, I realized once again how much I actually enjoy it, and I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that I will make another episode in less than 40-some weeks from now. I hope that I can ride this high of creating this one. If you guys have more questions about this, this wasn't enough information for you, and I assure you this was just the tip of the iceberg. I suggest you check out some more stuff about ancient Egypt. There is so much more to it than people really give it credit for. A lot of people, you know, just kind of pay attention to the the flashy stuff that is that's in movies and whatnot, and Cleopatra and Tutankhamun, and it's like, yeah, that's cool, but there is so much to ancient Egypt, and there's so much that we don't know. It's fascinating. Check it out. Anyway, like I said, I'm sorry it took me so long. Thank you so much for listening to this, though. My name is Jonathan Penchoff. You've been listening to Repeating History. This episode of Repeating History was written, performed, and recorded by Jonathan Penchoff. Theme song written by Dave Regan. Thanks for listening, everyone.